Thank you for joining us for this week's message from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. Each week we share thought-provoking and life-changing teachings on topics that are important and relevant to you in your life. We hope that you will be encouraged by our weekly podcast and will tune in regularly. Now let's join the First Christian Church of Great Bend for this week's message. So given that many of us for the next three weeks are going to be spending a whole lot of our time watching countless hours of track and field and swimming and basketball with a bit of badminton and archery thrown in because we can, I thought what we'd do to have a bit of fun during the Olympic Games, which started this week. How many of you guys have watched? Anybody watched yet? Yeah, I think most of us have is I want to spend some time examining a couple of profound games that these ancient actually have to teach us about living Christian. So to light the torch for this series, or to help us to get off the blocks quickly, today what we're going to be getting into is how these ancient games have something to teach us about what it means to proclaim the gospel of message on a day-to-day basis, or, or what it looks like to proclaim the gospel message in a world that is very, very divert. Then over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be getting into how the Bible uses the metaphor and the language of the games to teach us about what it looks like to live Christian on a day-to-day basis. With my hoping that as all of you are watching the Olympics over the next three weeks, is that you'll not only root for the United States of America to kick butt and take some names, right? but that you'll also take some time to meditate, meditate on what it is these games might just have to teach us about becoming more faithful followers of Jesus. So what do you guys think? Does it sound like fun or does it sound boring? Fun. Yeah, okay, I got one person that says it sounds fun. For me, this is something I've never done before. It's kind of connecting with a big event that's going on. Uh, but the reason I do it is not just to have fun. There's a lot of profound stuff here that I think can really help you go deeper in your faith. So something I'm very, very excited about it. So I don't know. We've got some stuff going on here. John, let me try this right fast and see. Okay. So what you will find when you do a bit of research on the Olympic Games in the ancient world is that these games were a huge deal. And what I mean by a huge deal is that almost everyone in the ancient world was familiar with these ancient games. And that's amazing, given the technology that they had at this time. Almost everybody in the ancient world would have known what the Olympic Games were about. They were this kind of universal phenomena that was happening at that time. And the reason why that was the case is because once every year, excuse me, once every four years, athletes and spectators from all over the Roman world would travel to the Olympic village in Greece to either compete or to cheer on their countrymen as the world's greatest athletes got together to see who the best of the best really were. And of course, what was at stake during these games was for the spectators some of the best entertainment that money could buy. Along with bragging rights, you guys know what bragging rights are if your country or your guy happened to win. And then for the athletes, what was at stake? It was a whole lot of fame, fortune, and even a chance at immortality if you happen to show yourself to be the best of the best. Or truth be told, the ancient games are not much different than the sports world that we live in today. Think of college football. How many of you guys are huge K-State fans and can't wait till football season starts? Anybody? Right, so in this area of the world, one of the biggest things is college football. 
How many of you guys love the Chiefs? Can't wait for the Chiefs to start, right? There's even more on that deal. Now, for you Kansas fans, maybe football is not the thing you want, but maybe it's more like basketball. But the truth is, ooh, that was a good dig, wasn't it? <laughs> but the truth is, we live in a world that is, you know, engulfed in all things athletics. And so in the ancient world, it was similar, but it wasn't football and basketball and all that kind of stuff. No, it was these ancient games. But one of the interesting things that I discovered as I was doing research on the Olympic Games and how it pertains to Scripture is that even though the Olympics were the most popular games by far, they weren't the only games at that time. In fact, the games that, that Paul and most early Christians would probably even be more familiar with than the Olympic Games were the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games. And the reason Christians would have known this better is because they come from a certain area. And these games actually took place in Corinth, which is closer to where they live. And they happen not once every four years, but happened once every two years. And so they were a big deal. They weren't as big as the Olympics, but they were right behind the Olympics in popularity at that time in the world. Which possibly means, as some scholars have postulated, that Paul would have been very familiar not only with what it was like to attend these games, but also might have even you know, got to watch behind the scenes. Because when you went to the Olympic Village, not only did you watch the athletes compete, but you would also go to the training grounds and you watch them get ready for all these events. So Paul and early Christians would have been really, really familiar with this stuff. And then to push these scholarly speculations even further, some argue that it might also be the case that Paul as a tent maker might have used this as an opportunity to make a few bucks. Right? So we would go to the Olympics, and there wasn't a whole bunch of places for people to stay. And so what Paul would do as a tent maker, he'd set up tents all around this area. Even the athletes stayed in tents at this time to make a few bucks, which then would fund his next mission to the next area. Now, do we know any of this for sure? No, we don't. But it's sure interesting, given that Paul uses sports metaphors more than anyone else in the Bible. But it's not just Paul. You'll find them not only in the New Testament. You'll find them in the Old Testament. Now... The reason why all that's important to get for what we're doing today, besides just being some cool, fun facts to know about the Olympics as you're watching, is that these games actually teach us something very important about how Paul and the early Christians went about reaching out to others with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Or how to proclaim the gospel to a very diverse world where people come from all over the place. They don't talk the same. They don't think the same. So what Paul did, and you get to see this throughout the New Testament, and it's not just with sports metaphors, it's with other metaphors. So what Paul and the other Christians did, uh, due to everybody's familiarity with the Olympic Games, everybody got the Olympic Games, is that on occasion when proclaiming the gospel to people who have never heard it, they wouldn't use a whole lot of high-fluting theological language to tell others about Jesus. They wouldn't use churchy words. And the reason they wouldn't use those words is because people wouldn't get it. If you've never been associated with the church, you don't get those words automatically. It just doesn't make sense to you. No, what they would do in an attempt to meet people where they were and speak to them in a way they could understand, they used the language of the ancient games because people would have gotten that. Or to put that into perspective, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. He says, do you not know that in a race the runners all compete but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. 
So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. And all I want you to see in the scripture at this point, and we're going to actually get into this scripture more next week, is just one of the many examples where the Bible is describing what it means to live the, live the Christian life, not using churchy words, but by using metaphors of the ancient games because it would have resonated with the people. Or to make this a bit more clear, let me give you kind of a, a modern-day example of how this works. So let's say you, you want to share your faith with someone. Let's say you get an opportunity to tell others about Jesus. But the problem is they don't have a background in the church. And the reason they don't have a background in the church is because what their family has done for generations is they go to football games on Sunday. Kind of sounds familiar, right? I mean, it's more and more these days, that's what people are doing. And so if you want to teach them or if you want to tell them, if you want to introduce them to, to this, this being who has transformed you, it's not a good idea to show up and just start talking the churchy words. It's not a good idea to talk about faith and salvation and resurrection and all those kind of things. But instead, what you need to do is you need to try to meet those people where they are in a way that they can understand. And in this example, right, it's football. So maybe if we think about it in this way or speak to them in this way. So being a Christian is kind of like being a part of a football team, right? They get that. Where Jesus is like the coach, the Bible is like the playbook. And the goal, of course is to defeat the other team of sin, evil, and death, which we do through faith by causing God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so you've just taken this message that's all about transforming lives, and instead of giving it to them in a way that they don't understand, you speak to them in language that they get. And then you go from there. Now, the goal is not to continue to proclaim the gospel to them in metaphor of football, right? It's going to get bigger than that. But that's where you begin to meet those people where they are. And I know for some of you who've grown up in the church your whole entire life, that that might seem a little weird. That might seem a little strange. But what you need to know is that not only is this one of the main methods that Paul and many of the early Christians used with great success when reaching out to people from all over the world, but the truth is I probably wouldn't be standing before you as a minister today if someone wouldn't have used this method on me, right? Which means I probably would be in prison. You have to remember that my mom used to cry herself to sleep at night when I was in high school. So who knows where I'd be? So for those of you who don't know, I didn't grow up in a home where the church or the Christian faith was a priority at all. In fact, I wouldn't even consider my family at that time to be C and E Christians, right? Christmas and Easter, we have those Christians that show up. We didn't even do that. That's how bad of Christians we were at the time kind of deal. Now, they weren't opposed to anything. It just wasn't a part of our life. Or the truth is, before the age of about 14, I might have attended a church service, although I did attend Sunday school on occasion. I might have attended an actual church service about 20 times. But when I did, my experience of the church was basically nothing short of being tortured for what seemed to be like an eternity, where I was forced to sing old songs that I didn't like, played on an instrument that reminded me of a funeral. And if that wasn't bad enough, between all that singing, I had to sit quietly and listen to this preacher wax poetically about stuff that didn't make any sense to me. It was way over my head. I know what you guys are feeling sometimes when I'm up here. I get it. <laughs> You're not supposed to laugh at that. 
So needless to say, at that time in my life, I really wanted nothing to do with the church. I really wanted nothing to do with Jesus, not because I had anything against any of that stuff, but because it didn't make sense to me. It didn't connect with me. But then what happened to me as I got a little older is that I had a middle school football coach invite me to come check out this thing called FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. How many of you guys know what FCA is? Yeah. And the way they sold it to me was, hey, you want to come and have some fun in the evening and then we do a Bible study at the very end? And so I like to have fun. I didn't have anything going on. I was in the seventh grade, right? It's not like I was out causing any trouble at that time. And so because I love these coaches, along with wanting to have some fun, I went to check it out. And of course, at first, there's no doubt that the reason I attended FCA were the games. I wanted to have some fun. I also need to throw in there, there was a couple of girls in there. You know how that works as well. And then it was, I just checked out during part of it. But the more and more I went and listened to these coaches tell me about Jesus, which they did, by the way, not by using high-fluting, churchy language, theological stuff, all that. I would have never showed up again or listened again. But they used sports metaphors. It's a jumping-off point. I even had a, a, a sports Bible, if, if that makes sense. And so it started to resonate with me. It's like they got their foot in the door and like, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? And then what I did because of that is I would go home every single night. It didn't matter what I did that night or whatever. I started reading scripture. I became fascinated with this Jesus. And slowly but surely, my life began to be transformed forever. Which means you need to know that the reason that I'm sitting here today or standing up in this pulpit is because like Paul and others use the metaphors of these ancient games to tell others about Jesus. I had a middle school coach who in an attempt to meet me where I was, he used my obsession with sports to teach me about Jesus in a way that I could understand. And it's changed my life forever. But what you've also got to realize about this particular method is that this method is not just restricted to sports metaphors. That's, we're doing that now because we're talking about the Olympics and that's my experience. But it doesn't have to be just restricted to sports metaphors. Because truth is, you can use almost every area of life. For example, in music, living the Christian life is like living in harmony with God and others. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that you can use in the music world to connect the gospel with people who get that. In art, God is like this incredible artist designing this 3D canvas. Our world is like a 3D canvas that God continues to create day by day. In literature, God is like the narrator of our life story. God is like the, the narrator of all that is going on in the world. In business, God is like the CEO of a nonprofit organization that is devoted to changing the world for truck drivers. God is the GPS that tells them where to go. The list is endless, right? In almost every area of life, we can take what we know to meet people where they are. The key here being meeting people where they are. So what all of that means for us, if we truly do want to become the kind of church and the kind of people that are, that are about reaching out to the over 8,000 people in this area who don't know Christ or belong to the church, what we need to be doing is we need to stop just expecting people to join us where we are. Did you hear that? 
We need to stop expecting people to join us where we are, where we're comfortable with what we like, and begin to think of ways that we can meet people where they are, whatever that might look like, right? I mean, why do we decorate our sanctuary with this weird animal up here in Christmas trees? You think we do that for you guys? No, we do it so when the kids walk in here, they're walking to a different world. We have a whole wing that when you walk into it, it's a different world. We do that so the kids can connect in ways that they wouldn't have before. What's the only reason why we have another service or another two services in the back? It's because we want to connect to people where they are. So as a church, we have done a really, really good job at this. And that's part of the success that we're having. But we can't lose the mindset. We've got to continue to do that. We have got to continue to think of new ways not to expect people to meet us where we are, but to meet people where they are. That's how you transform the world. That's what Paul and all the early Christians were doing at that time. Or to really bring this home, let me share with you Paul's philosophy on how he went about meeting people where they were. This is what we need to be doing. This is what needs to stick in our heads. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more of them. To the Jew, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. I have become all things to all people that I might save some. The key here being becoming all things to all people. Or to really help you understand this. If you take a journey around the state of Kansas and go to all the different churches, it doesn't matter what denomination or anything like that, and you go into churches who continue to expect people to meet them where they're at instead of meeting people where they are, what do you think you're going to find there? That's the significance of this for us today. Not just for the church, right? It's easy for you guys to put this on us. This is what we should be doing. This is how we should be sharing our faith. Not the cram it down your throat stuff, right? The cram it down your throat stuff is I am right and you are wrong and I'm going to cram this. No, 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 no. That's not what we do. We meet people where they are. We walk them along, we introduce them, and then we let God do what God does. That's what's going to transform the world. That's what's going to make a difference. That's what we're all being called to do. Let us pray. Father, as we start this series today, we start, you know, with this idea that these ancient games gave a platform for people to understand the gospel who were different. For it opened us up to this method that the early church and Christians have been using for thousands of years. So today, oh Lord, help us to understand that if we truly want to become the, the church, the people that you're calling us to be, we can't just expect for people to meet us where we are. We can't just expect for people to show up and buy into what we're doing. But we have to get better at meeting people where they are. Not just to let them stay where they are, Lord, but to help them become the people that you 
have created them to be. Or help us, O Lord, in an attempt to touch those who need you. Stop thinking in different ways. Start thinking about them instead of ourselves so that they too can have what we have, a relationship with you. We ask this all in Jesus Christ's name. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week.